This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by Thanksgiving Leftovers. Get stuffed! in on John Gibson. You're doing something very right. Now Pavelski banks it right back to Klingberg. His pass finds Robertson. Turnaround score! Pavelski the tip in front. Here's Pavelski. A shot. He scores! His 400th NHL goal doubles the lead. K.O. McCarr with 321 left in the third period, gets Colorado on the board. And a perfect homestand for Dallas. And a 3-1 win, snapping Colorado's six-game winning streak. We are ready to get underway here at Ball Arena. Puck is down, Randy will bump it off now for Taves. And Devon Taves slides it ahead. Sends it in front, the fucking score! himself at the top of the crease he redirects it home for his fourth of his season welcome back to the lineup number four here's Miko Rantanen and Val redirects and scores Val Nachushkin continues to produce brought ahead by Cattery he's got Magna in with him that pass broken up it's in the slot shot score Miko Rantanen has the Come raining down in Ball Arena. Fired ahead by EJ. Abs bringing it in. Oh, they keep out of Jost. He shoots and scores. Tyson Jost will finish it off. He's finally rewarded with his second goal of the season on a beautiful pass from Ove Kubel. And the Abs have put it away. It's a 6 2 game with a buck five left. As we're watching, you go, yes. Two to go. And one, and that will do it. Now John Tavares, Nylander's got a step to the net. Scores! Scores! A fourth line goal, and the Leafs have a two-goal lead. Beauty, and it's 3 nothing. And Austin Matthews in tight. Showing some great hands there. O'Connor back the other way. He shot. Steered away by Campbell. Fit back to McKinnon. Has the avalanche back to full strength. Gerard scores. With point three left in the period. The avalanche get one back. 
There's a shot with Kadri. Scores from his knees in front. Nazem Kadri is 199th. The initial scoring play is Nachushkin from Kadri. And Travis Dermott scores! Travis Dermott's got his first of the year. And the Leafs lead by two. The shot loose in front. Smart scores! Wins the battle in tight. And it's 5-2. Matthew scores! Has doubled down. And it's 6-2 Toronto. Here's Matthews. Couple of goals. Scores! Patrick goal! His fourth career, Patrick. And that with the signature Austin Matthews shot. Wing ball with a burst. Scores! Number eight of the night goes to Pierre Engvall. Here's McKinnon, quick turn across, Landis Gog in front, scores, redirect beauty, and Nazem Kadri has his 200th career goal. Fans are standing. Five wins in a row, 15 of 17, and a league-leading 17th win of the year. They are going to be in an ugly mood, Brian, and it should show early for Colorado. Takes it away, O'Connor in front, Nachushkin shot, scores! Short-handed goal, Valerie Nachushkin, and it's one of the Colorado. Sherratt gets it back at the line, Rich shot, scores! Hot shot, Ben Sherratt, power play goal, he's got five on the season, and we're all tied up at one. Long shot, tip, scores! The tip in front, it looked like Landis got a touch, and it's 2-1 Colorado. Wrong sweater there, and they're moving. Kadri, wait, slides it in front, tip, side of the net, still loose in a great scores! Swatted in, and the last guy to touch it was Andre Burakovsky, off the weird scramble in front of Allen, and the Avalanche have a 3-1 lead. Out of the reach of Suzuki, Drouin there, nearly lost it, gotta be careful, Landis reaching for it. Empty net picked up by Rantanen. That hit Sherratt and tough bounce right to Landeskog off Sherratt. It is that been that kind of game and year for the Montreal Canadiens. Empty netter and 4-1 Avalanche. So another frustrating night for the Montreal Canadiens. And they hear it from the fans. 4-1 Colorado wins as Jonas Johansson getting his third win of the season. And after 22 years, Greetings one and all, near and far, reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl of Six. Earl, long time. How you doing? Well, Vlad, thank you. Also joining our starting lineup is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, how have you been? We made it to December. We sure did. All right, so uh, how is uh, your time away? Did you have a good uh, Thanksgiving uh, holiday? It was fabulous. I'm actually, we, we had another three-day week this week, too, because that's just how our schedule works. So it's it's kind of like the two weeks of Thanksgiving for me. Yeah, good enough. I just had a small dinner with my husband and mom, and then it was my husband's birthday. So 
that's also part of the reason why we kind of took last weekend off and decided to get going again when we could reconvene and talk about all these games. Raise a toast. So, when we last graced the digital airwaves, the Avs were ready to kick off American Thanksgiving week with four games over that course of that week, including their first back-to-back of the season. But first things first, the Ottawa Senators. The Avs were looking to take advantage of a rusty Ottawa squad who were shelved for a week due to COVID protocol. Walk in the park for the Avs? Well, both teams combined for a total of 12, that's right, 12 goals between them, including a hat trick from Senators forward Zach Sanford, but the Avs would come out on top with a 7-5 victory. Valeri Nichushkin, Kale McCarr twice, Devon Taves, Miko Rantanen, Alex Newhook with the eventual game winner, and Nazem Kadri would provide the scoring for the Avs. Both Darcy Kemper, who surrendered five goals on 15 shots, and Jonas Johansson would see action for the Avs in the crease, with Johansson coming in to hold down the four after Kemper was shelved due to a faulty skate holder. A skate blade holder, I should say. Two nights later, Kemper's skate reared its ugly blade when the Avs hosted the Anaheim Ducks. Sonny Milano scored the opening goal, which Kemper could not get back into position for due to the malfunctioning blade, but after that, the Avs got rolling with five straight goals from Kale McCarr, Alex Newhook, Nikolai Obey-Kubel, Nazem Kadri, and Valeri Nichushkin before Milano would add one more late en route to a 5-2 win for the home team. This time, Johansson would play the majority of the game, getting the green light from Jared Bednar to see this one through. It's been a little while since those games, but what do you two recall about how the Avs performed in those contests? It was, I mean, Kemper's blade was such a determining factor in a lot of this. Um, At least it was an emblem. Um, Because it was a little sloppy. Um, You know, they were on a big winning streak. And the funny thing is, is like the, the Ottawa game was Kemper's fifth win in a row, but he hasn't won since. Um, so it's, you, you kind of wonder sort of what happened there and, and is something, I don't know, is something messing with him? Because um, it's, you know, he hasn't had success since that night. Usually games two weeks ago are really tough to remember, but I was at that auto game, so that one's a little bit more fresh in the mind. And um, and of course, that Anaheim game continued the bizarre skate issue. Like, we've seen it before where it happens, and for it to happen two nights in a row was just the weirdest thing ever. And then in the coming out for the second period in the Anaheim game when he just falls over and rightfully so they just pulled the plug because A, it is an injury risk. You can't just keep losing your footing and falling over. Like that's not good for anybody. And plus you can't save anything like that. And it, yeah. And it had happened when they let in the first goal to Anaheim was on the power play. And then he falls over and can't get up and, he tried his best, and then he tried a little bit of a two-pad stack, but it was fairly obvious that he wasn't going to be getting back up, so kind of made it easy there. You just... That's just unacceptable. Like, 
for it to happen against Ottawa, whatever, but that it wasn't resolved, that they couldn't resolve it again in the intermission. You just can't have your goaltender out there who literally malfunctions on the ice in the middle of a play. So I was glad that they gave that game to Johansson because he was playing pretty decent. And it's just like, you need to have a functioning goalie in your net. So that's what I remember from the Anaheim game. Now going back to the Ottawa game, that was, it was fun to see like a lot of goals and Ottawa actually kind of amuses me. I like some of their young players and it's just a different team to see now. Yeah. Knock on wood. <laughs> Hopefully the fun works in our favor again tomorrow night. But, um, one thing that I will always take away from that Ottawa game was the way that McCarr looked to me. Now I've seen him live for and McCarr, like he's always good, but to literally see the elevation of his game and just how determined he was to make a difference made such a huge impression on me. And Newhook's goal was fantastic. Um, that was neat too, because like he was all the way on the other side of the net and he kicked the puck to his yeah. blade. I mean, it just <laughs> It just made that space for himself where the goalie couldn't get across fast enough. Yeah, I mean, that was... I, I mean, there's puck skill with your stick and everything like that, but just being able to, to, in the heat of battle, kick it through the crease to your own stick and put it in for a game-winning goal. Because I remember watching it, like, oh my god, how did he get it that wide open? And yeah. then when you see it on the replay, you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone was over there where the puck was. And then New York was like, nope, mine. So yeah, that was a really cool moment for him. But like the McCarr thing, he went down twice after Ottawa scored and just put the puck in the net himself. Like he willed it himself. And now he's on this great goal scoring streak, which we'll get to. But he's already at 10 goals on the year, which, as I've said before, is... Even the really good defensemen don't score goals like that. So he's, no. he's on quite a tear. No, they were, they were going through it on TSN last night. Like um, I think it was Mike Green was the last uh, defenseman to score 30 goals. That was back in, I think, 2009. And <clears throat> he was the first guy to do it um, since... Kevin Hatcher back in like 93. I think to even get 20, I think there's only been about 20 times a defenseman's got 20 goals in like since the lockout. Like, yeah, even I mean, 20, it's 20, 20 is a ton for a goalie. For a defenseman, yeah. I mean, for a defenseman, yeah. Kale is that good. He could play both. <laughs> I remember there was one play, it was right before the end of the first period and, and Kale had the puck in that Ottawa game and he shot it so hard. I, I thought like whoever was in the way, if it was an Av, a Senator, like he was going to murder somebody with the puck in that game. He was just <laughs> launching it at the net. It was, it was something else to see for sure. And it's cool that he could do that. Come on. It was a Monday night against Ottawa. And he's out there, like, pissed off, 
trying to make a difference. That's what you want to see. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, if you look back to sort of his first maybe six or eight games of the season, and you're kind of wondering, like, hey, when's that scoring thing going to start, you know? And- <laughs> well, he was just so weird with the puck then. And um, I kind of remember at the beginning of that Ottawa game, there's maybe a couple little weird plays early on, and then it was just like he got fired up or something. It just takes it to another level. It's That guy's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you look back at it sort of, <clears throat> you know, who stood out in November. Obviously, he got um, voice. I guess he was the third star of the week two weeks in a row. Yeah, uh, and Kadri was third star of the month. Um, it's like both those guys have really been, you know, lighting it up. Um, which is nice, definitely, yeah. Because um, I mean, for Kadri, I you know you just you're wondering if he'd maybe fallen off the cliff, and Makar with the start he had, you're like, you know, people were talking about the contract making him soft. And, <laughs> and I, I know that wasn't the case, but he's usually a little tepid when he comes back from injury. He just you know, he likes to make sure that everything's right. Um. And it, and it seemed like sometime, you know, maybe I think maybe the the Tampa Bay game with the shut with the shootout that sort of started, yeah, definitely. getting him on track, and then sort of since then he's gotten more and more momentum as time goes on, and it's you know it, it's really, I mean, you wonder how much better he can get this season right now. <laughs> yeah, scary for everyone. Good for us. But yeah, I remember that Tampa Bay game. Like that was his first goal. He hadn't even scored a real goal yet. Yeah. And now he has ten. How far we've come in such a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Avs roll into the first back-to-back of the season, heading into Dallas to face the Stars for the first time since the Game Seven loss in the Edmonton bubble. Darcy Kemper did play the entire game for the Avs, but unfortunately, he and the rest of the team were as cold as Thanksgiving Day leftovers, coming out of this one, losing by a score of 3-1, to one, and stopping the Avs' win streak at six games. Speaking of Makar, he was the only one to score in, in this one for the Avs. The next night, the Avs re- would return home to face franchise changer Matt Duchesne and the Nashville Predators. Miko Rantanen would put together a hat trick, while Bowen Byram... Valeri Nichushkin and Tyson Jost would also find the score sheet. Jonas Johansson would get his third straight win, making 26 saves on 28 shots. The Avs split this Central Division series uh, between Dallas and Nashville. So what are your thoughts on how the Avs performed? You know, when you see Pavelski score that early (laughs) in a game, and then again, you're just like, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it wasn't over, but it was over. Yeah, it, yeah, it was um, over. <laughs> well, it was like a tale of two halves were these games. They were just so different. But yeah, that Dallas one was just total trash. It just, and it's happened before. I remember, was it last year? Well, not last year, obviously, to play Dallas. But like two years ago, remember when they were in Dallas and... And then the forwards were 
wanting to support the puck anymore and they left room and they left Sam ha- hung out to dry and all that garbage and it seems like it it happens kind of frequently there. No- yeah, I mean it's Rick Bonus knows how to coach against the Avs, I, I guess. Um which wasn't a good you know, look. I mean, the Avs didn't do themselves <laughs> any favors by A letting Pavelski score twice in like the first 20 seconds and you know, B coming out really flat. Um, I thought they played better as time went on in that game, but you know, it's just that they were on such a roll to scoring, you know, six, seven goals the night. And, you know, it just, nothing was dropping. And I, I think it was a very frustrating night well, yeah, along a, with six, everything else. The six game win streak, you know, it wasn't going to last forever. It's just, the Avs are in this weird, I don't know, section of their season or whatever it is. They they win big and they lose big. Like, we don't have any sort of, oh, well, that could have gone the other way. Like, if we're going to lose, can we just have, like, a normal loss? Like, a nice 3-2. to two. Oh, boy, we didn't get that that last goal. It, it just seems like when they lose, it's, it's like they go down in flames. It's, it's kind of strange. <laughs> And Which, that everybody is foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not done with that. So, hey, I I like the the goal explosion, and the other games are fun. But they also, at some point, are going to have to win like a close game. Yeah, I mean, they've only had they've only been involved in one one goal game this whole season, and they actually won it in St. Louis um, way back in the day. And the Ottawa one uh, was very back and forth. Like they did have to win that one at the last yeah. minute. So right, yeah, like Newhook School was—I I forget that was four minutes left, something like that. Yeah, it was pretty close there in the end, and they were even down. I think Ottawa scored early in that third period to take the lead. So, so that counts. I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't just because it's Ottawa. It was a hole they had to dig out of, and they had to win at the end of the day. But just um. The, just these games are kind of weird. It's just what I'm getting at. I don't, I don't know how much success it's going to set them up for, even if it is fun to see five, six, seven, whatever goals on the board. So, but yeah, the Dallas one it was like it was going to happen. Six game win streak, been scoring like crazy. But you just hate to see them come out, start slow like that. When Pavelski got the first one, he felt like, okay, well, at least he got his. Let me just like move on with the game now. But when you give a defensive team like that a two nothing lead that early in the game, it's just so hard to overcome. It, even with all that time, like a two goal deficit with you know fifty five minutes left of the game, it shouldn't be that big of a yeah. deal. But it just they couldn't break through it. And I do not care at all that they got twenty shots in that third period. That was just total garbage time. And then the yeah, and I, I, goal they got was the six on five, which, hey, that's cool that their six on five is working, but, and it gave McCarr the, the score. But I mean, come on, it, that game was already in the bin. Yeah, it, it, I think both that game and, and the Toronto game, uh, it kind of puts something in your mind like they're really struggling on the road this year. I know they're they're five and five, and they played a lot of good teams on the road. They, they haven't had a lot of cupcake games on the road. Um, 
but it they do seem very different. Um, I think Ben Nard did finally mention it though, like they they just haven't been as good on the road. He did, Um, but it's you know a really flat performance in Dallas, and then you know kind of a the the same thing again when they came to Toronto. Um, You know, I'm I'm not sure, and I guess you know you you throw. you know, you throw the Columbus game in there, maybe too. I mean, that was kind of a flat game. It's just sort of, you know, what what are what are they not doing to prepare for games on a road trip like that? Um, Which is you know, that's, weird. I'm sure that's something that Bednar's trying to figure out. You know, like, are, is there something in the routine that's different, or is it the travel? You know, what, is that they got used to actually some sensibility with the back to backs and staying in one city? I don't know why they trashed the whole idea of what they were doing last year. Like back-to-backs against division teams could have been a smart thing to keep. Like why, why did they have to play back-to-back against Dallas and Nashville? It's just, it's stupid. I'm guessing because you can't sell as many tickets. But really though, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. I'd have to see real like because it seemed that. like everyone was up for it, and then it just they weren't, and you you just got to figure it came down to the Bucks. I um, almost feel like did some teams complain because you'd be playing certain teams back to back and certain teams not, and and not every even in your own division you don't necessarily even play every team on the road twice. And I don't know, it's it's like somebody complained, and I just don't think it makes that big of a difference like especially on the weekend i know from following the abs it's they draw well on the weekend regardless of who's in town so if it's a saturday night and it's dallas again it doesn't matter like it's they're gonna draw well it's just strange to me i think there should be a compromise made there if you have to play back-to-backs anyway just do it occasionally. Like I, I like having every team come through and going to travel to every team. And maybe that is an adjustment that they've had some long road trips, which is weird because usually the long road trips are good for them, but is that getting to them? I don't know. It's definitely something. And you know, whatever it is, they, you know, they're going to have to either get used to it or figure it out or whatever. I'm sure they will. Cause you're right. they, you know, traditionally have been a, a quite a good road team. So, and I don't want to get into like, oh, are they drinking or spending having too much fun on the road because they couldn't do anything last year? I don't know. I really kind of doubt it. But I mean, with Toronto, like maybe you think about that, but it's like a one one night trip to Dallas or a one night trip to Columbus. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I I saw someone I'm not going to name who was like, oh, they were bad in Dallas because right after holiday. I was like, what? What Thanksgiving did they have? They flew to Dallas, like, and had Thanksgiving there. <laughs> <laughs> like, how is that different than any other Thursday? Like, come on, that was not a quote unquote holiday. Are Thanksgivings bigger in Texas? <laughs> Maybe they had too much steak and mashed potatoes. I don't know, but. I don't know. That was kind of a ridiculous excuse. <laughs> what is, do they make chickpea mashed potatoes? <laughs> Maybe not. 
Maybe they all indulged. <laughs> the other thing is hardly any of them are American. Like they really gave a shit about an American holiday. Oh, I'm sure they. I mean, it, anyone likes an excuse to eat a lot. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like they don't eat really well on the road every other time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like when I mean, they're it's... in the bubble and some guy complained they were having steak too much. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have nowhere to eat. We're at the steakhouse every night. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't go over too well. No. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> but get a, little, um, get a little surf and turf in there. Mix it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the Dallas game happens. You just put it in the bin and move on. It, it, but you can't forget it because, like we've said, it seems to happen against Dallas. Seems to be happening on the road. So it's something they're going to have to think about. And I think you... Well, yeah, and- <clears throat> I think you bring and, up and, a good. Sorry, Earl. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's it's. I, I think there's a pattern with some of the the poor um, losses we're seeing. You know, if you, if you rattle off like Columbus, Dallas, and then Toronto, it's like these are all fairly uh, close checking defensive teams, and you know that's a, that's a style they tend to have some problems with. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's something that it, it's a question that Jared Bednar has yet to answer. Well, it's kind of um, weird because he said a lot of times about like buy in. And it's just like, you don't really have that many different players. Like, are we talking about Helm? Like, what? who are you talking about when he's kind of saying, you know, like, we, we got to get the group to buy in. And I'm just kind of like, but who isn't or why? It's just that's a little strange to me. Like. Yeah, or I mean, what did they wake? Did did a couple guys wake up and not feel like buying in that day? I mean, it's, it's buying in is something you kind of do at the beginning of the season, and right, or <clears throat> or you could understandably wonder about new guys that they don't quite un- get the system or whatever. We saw that, you know, guys like Murray maybe start a little bit slow, but I don't think he's necessarily talking about that. He's just kind of like saying the group has to buy in. It's like the groups. 80% the same team, so that's just a little odd to me. Well, I think both of you raise very good points that, on the one hand, it could be a travel issue where the Avs have had some struggles on, on the road, but at the same time, when they played in the West Division last season, the West Division stretched all the way from the West Coast to the Mississippi River. So there should be at least some familiarity with getting on a plane and getting into it, you know, getting into, you know, a different time zone. So I can, I can make you know, maybe some concession on that to a point, but also I think Earl, you also bring up a great point about the systems issue where they struggle against those teams that play that type of style. And the abs just for whatever reason, just they lock themselves up and just can't figure their way out of that locked box. Which is funny because yeah, I mean, the Pacific teams were, even though a lot of them weren't that good, they were tighter checking teams. So that's something yeah. the Avs should have been used to. They just weren't very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're right. But, you know, if you think about sort of the struggles versus the teams in the playoffs, you know, like Dallas, 
San Jose back when they were good, um, Vegas, of course. You know, they, there's sort of a common theme of a dragon that can't be slayed yet. And, um, and if- you know, and that's the hurdle they got to get over. I don't think it's buy-in. I, I do think that there are things that the coaching staff needs to examine to enhance what the Avs are able to do against those teams because – I just don't think trying harder is going to help. Um, and that does because there were a lot of times in the playoffs when they were trying really hard and it didn't work. And that kind of seems to be the message. Like if you're checking the puck back, if you're committed on that end, then offense happens. Seems to be the message. And that's so it's true. But I mean, creating offense in the offensive zone is the hardest thing to do as a player in the NHL and to, and to create as a coach in the NHL. Um, and it's just something that, you know, very few coaches can really enhance what their team does in the offensive zone just because it's, you know, it's a, it's a very defense-first kind of mentality with coaching. I mean, you know, most coaches would love to win a, a one nothing game all the time like Eric Veyu in, in San Antonio. Um, you know, and, and I commend Bednar for, for being okay with, you know, having a, a little bit of run and gun and winning seven to three, seven to five, seven to one, things like that. Because um, you know, most coaches would kind of look at that and say, well, there's some, there's still some underlying problems we got here. So, I mean, he is willing to let them run, but I, I do think that there are things that they need to try in the offensive zone to, you know, give the opponent a different look, you know, not be so predictable. Um, you know, when, when they're not able to, to do their transition game, when they're not able to create off the good breakouts and, and all that, um, you know, they become very predictable once they get in the offensive zone, and that's sort of where they need to, to punch up their game a little. Yeah, I think we've said before the systematic creativity, which also applies to the power play, is what seems to be lacking. And and the whole dealing with the physicality and the tight checking, and that, that's also another narrative that I don't think they've solved. I don't think the answer is just get bigger players. Like I'm sure we'll have the McDermott conversation a little bit later. But um, to a point, like you can go out and get some bigger, grittier players that are actual NHL players and might give you a little bit different style. Like, I think Obey Kubel has added a little bit of that in the small role that he has. And, you know, it, it is a mentality. So, I was going to say when you brought up the playoffs, they really slayed the dragon. I thought playing very well against St. Louis was a step forward, but it could also just be that they were playing so poorly that they didn't really execute their style and identity at that time. They, they were <laughs> awful. <clears throat> so, um, well, and, and another thing, like you hear Bednar said many times, you know, when we struggle offensively, it's because the guys are trying to skill their way out of things. And, you know, it, there is something to that. You can't rely just on skill. I mean, there, there's got to be, you know, an aggressiveness to it. Well, that's that gets back to my complaints about what McKinnon was doing. You know, it's just selfish behavior trying to skate through four players. It certainly wasn't just him. 
you know, when Kadri's in a black hole, it's like he just t- tries the toe drag and that's all he has. And once that gets shut down, he's done. So it, it gets to everybody. When you're not scoring, you get frustrated. You, you try to rely on individual skill and, and yeah. those kind of things happen. So, but with, and it's like it happens in the regular season. Everybody goes through stretches or the team does. But the big problem is when it happens in the playoffs. Like you can't just get frustrated because you're getting shut down. There has to be an answer or something else you can try. And obviously, yeah, I mean, if we knew the answer or they did, they would do it. And so it is a very difficult thing to pinpoint. But that's where they're going to have to be better if, if they want to actually make it far in the playoffs. Right. I mean, the abs tend to make teams pay for allowing them time and space. And that's something that, that it gets harder and harder to create in the playoffs. Um, and it's, you know, again, it's not a, not an easy thing to do, you know, especially in the playoffs where, where teams tend to collapse and be more physical. So, you know, how, how you get yourself out of that situation, I, you know, I, I'm sure if it was an easy solution, they would have found it by now. But it's, you know, it's been a few years now that they've struggled with this sort of same dilemma. Then um, I don't know what it is either. I don't think it's necessarily they have to get different players or I don't even necessarily think a different coach would make it better. I, I think it, a different coach would give you different good and bad things. I don't think it's necessarily like, aha, this is what's going to do it. Right. Because a lot of the things that Bednar does and lets them do, we appreciate. So it's definitely a grass is greener type of thing. So just hopefully they get there. Hopefully they solve their road issues, playing some of the better defensive teams, especially on the road. Um, Hopefully they can win a lot of closer games, come from behind. I think that's also another another problem that they're going to have to learn how to do. Is Like last year was great, but they just never were losing. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, but when you get in the playoffs and then you're like, what do we do? How can we do this? You have to have that belief too, like in the back of your mind, hey, we just did this. Like we can... No problem. Like we've seen Florida lately, they'll come back from any deficit, four goals, whatever. Like you just have to have that in your back pocket and be able to do it. Well, you have to be down first, and that's well, you know, <laughs> it's not, not saying, hey, like, let's it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> let's be <laughs> to, down, to get all the down time. four goals, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. But it happens. Like we've seen, you know, they've been down. It happens. And we, we've been neglecting the Nashville game, which, you know, again, af- after such a poor effort the night it, before, it nice they came see, back. Like everyone was, they had a good start. They, they looked like they had more energy. I don't want to say more engaged, but they were just more with it on top of it. Um, of course, we had the wonderful gift of Byron playing, and then he was amazing, just right out of the gate again. <laughs> Scored the game-winning goal. Yeah. He generated so many shots. It was crazy. It was like 10 individual shot attempts at even strength. 
and five of them were scoring chances. Like that's. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, playing that's... on top of your game. So it was lovely. Yeah, I mean, to his see. goal was ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> you know, we we talk about the Nick Holden goal, and you know, like this was the Nick Holden goal just done so much better than Nick Holden ever did. Well, it's nice after he scored that goal against Columbus when Kadri finally passed him. It was like, oh, now we can pass to him when he jumps up. And look what happens. Goals get scored. Yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic pass by Gabe and everything like that, too. I mean, that was just a fantastic, you know, as a fan, you just love seeing plays like that. You know, if you're Nashville, you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe that. that I mean, where did he come from? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that really dumb trade they were part of. And then, of course, it was funny Duchesne scores <laughs> at the end of the game <laughs> when it was when it was out of reach. But to be fair, that he Duchesne's had a good season. Like he's. He's having one of those years where he's scoring. But just, yeah, that Nashville game was just such a relief for so many reasons. That's just. Like, that's what you want to see. Everything. Everything about that game was like, if you just bottle it and just keep it forever. I would. (laughs) And then. And then I guess we should also say Johansson was a net for that one. It was because of the back to back, so it wasn't it wasn't like punishment for Kemper. I think they wanted to go back to back with them anyway. But I thought Johansson looked good in that game. He didn't have to do a ton, but yeah. Yeah, he looked great. Made uh twenty six saves in that game. Third straight third straight win. Definitely uh, had a better showing than his counterpart, uh, David Riddich, on the uh, other end of the crease, who uh, I I don't know if this was uh, shown on the broadcast for those that were fortunate enough to see it. But at the final horn, Riddich uh, smashed his stick over the crossbar and then skated off to the locker room. And (laughs) no, I didn't. I think that was a tribute to Pekka (laughs) (laughs) Well, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. But it was it was nice to get a division win. We haven't seen Nashville in a while. They are playing better this year, so that was a pretty good win. Yeah, the last time that Nashville was on home ice was that game where they throttled the Predators nine goals to four or five, I think it was. I don't even really remember that game, so I don't... It was a while back. A yeah. lot of things have happened uh, in the in the world since then. <laughs> and then what seemed like an eternity later, the Avs would begin their five-game road trip starting in Toronto against the Leafs this past Wednesday. Nathan McKinnon would make his return to the lineup after a three-week absence, but his return clearly did not spark his teammates as they fell hard by a score of 8-3. to three. Sam Girard and Nazem Kadri twice were the only players to get the puck past Jack Campbell. Jonas Johansson got the start as Darcy Kemper was held out of the lineup with what the Avs called an upper body injury. Eustace Annanen 
was called up from the Eagles to serve as JoJo's backup for that game. And then 24 hours later, the next night, the Avs would head to Montreal to face the struggling Montreal Canadiens. For inquiry minds, no, justice was not served in this game as Jonas Johansson, again, would get the start as the Avs would roll to a 4-1 win. Valeri Nichushkin, Kale McCarr, Andre Burakovsky, and Gabe Landeskog would get the goals. Now, because of the early start time for these games, unfortunately, I missed pretty much both the first and second period, both nights. But from what I saw, the little that I saw on the for the Toronto game, the Avs just looked like, again, just completely listless. While they seemed to be packing a little bit more spirit in their skates in the game on on Thursday night. Uh, what did you two see that I may have missed and what might folks out there uh, not realize as what's what happened over the last few games here? Um, I'll say the Toronto game, it was another, it, it wasn't a good start. I think they started slow. Um, just, I'm just trying to remember the early goals against. It wasn't one specific- Oh, like leaving Austin Matthews all <laughs> alone in front of the net? That's a great idea. Yeah, that one wasn't good. Um, I don't know. It was just strange. It was... Toronto exerted their will too much, and the Avs didn't exert theirs. It, it was a game against two teams that were supposedly pretty evenly matched. Toronto had been playing really well. We know that they're both more skilled teams. I was looking forward to watching it, a, a matchup between two teams that are good, and then Toronto also isn't considered the most physical or the tightest checking team. And it just was lack of execution. Just a lot of the same dumb stuff. Just starting slow, not being confident with the puck. They were chasing the game so much, and they usually don't. Um, the second period was better because then, when they were in the three to nothing hole, then they scored the two goals. Was it was it three to nothing, and then they scored the two? I th- no, it was three nothing, and then right at the end of the first, Sam scored, and I was like, "All right, yeah, we can work with this." And they played okay for the first kind of half of the second yeah. period, and I mean. I am the one of the biggest goalie apologists out there, but you know JoJo just didn't have it. You know, given his station in life, being a, a third goalie asked to be a second and doing a pretty good job at it, he looked like a third goalie against the Leafs, and that's tough. I mean, it's just there's not much you can do. Um, you know, there were some, there was definitely some problems. You know, with Byron back in the lineup, you have Jack Johnson and Eric Johnson together. And those guys really struggle moving the puck out of the zone and collecting it. it when you're asking EJ to sort of be the skill puck mover on the on a, a pairing like that, it, it generally doesn't work out that great. Um, you know, it's like if you put him with Sam or with, with Bo or whatever, you know, he's kind of a good complement to that, but it's you know, thinking that you, you put your two best defensive guys, big, strong, and all that, on the third pair and let them eat, um, you know, they, they kind of got to eat. Yeah, I remember that, that the 
the bottom pair and the two bottom lines really got eaten up in this game. Yeah. Um, and like you said, that they were doing better in the second period, and then they scored the second goal. It, whose goal was that? Yeah, it was the second one. I'm trying to remember. Um, oh. For some reason, this I game can't. felt like it just took an eternity, so I just I can't remember exactly. Uh, who scored that one? I still have to look it up. But anyway, it was it was like Oh, that was Kadri's first goal. Okay, yeah. Was was that the one that kind of like bounced between Kadri and Nuke and or that was the one where Nuke hit Kadri's stick and it went into the net, right? right. That one. Okay, right. Yeah. So, but it's like less than a minute later Toronto scores again and you're just like that's you know that's exactly what you couldn't let happen, right? Um, yeah, because like I was know, saying, like, they, they were they were beginning to slowly dig out, and when you get it to three to two, then it's a real game again. Right. And then just to turn it around right after that, and it was such a bad goal. I mean, it's like Dermot was like, I mean, he was like forty feet away, and it just went right over JoJo's glove. I mean, it was just a total please make a save kind of situation. And it's just, again, it just wasn't his night. So what are you going to do? But, but I wouldn't say <laughs> like he, he was the reason why they gave up eight as well. Like you said, they left Austin Matthews alone a couple times. They. Yeah. I mean, Matthews had a hat trick. I mean, <laughs> <you know. laughs> like they didn't make Jojo's life easier either, but sure. He was part of the, didn't help crew. Right. It's like it, if he's having a bad night against just sort of any old team, like maybe you can overcome that. But it's, you know, it's like the Leafs are playing really well right now at both ends of the ice. So, you know, you're, you're just not going to win for that. Yet. It's just too bad because this is, that was one of the few times the Avs are on the big stage and, everyone's watching and especially people that like media that never get to see the abs. And I do feel bad because I know that we have a lot of listeners and abs fans that go to that game because that's the only chance they get to see the team. And just to get embarrassed like that, it's no fun. And <laughs> yeah. And especially it sucks because the lineup Scotiabank was- center prices. <laughs> it just sucks. The lineup was great. You had McKinnon back. Got Byram, there was Carr, you know, everybody was there and they just sucked. That's a bummer. But they bounced back against Montreal. They had, they like, <clears throat> like they had to. <laughs> they absolutely yeah, like, had I to. wasn't worried about that one bit. Like, I mean, I, I said they could have won it with Miska and Net. I don't know about Maybe. That. Yeah, maybe, but <laughs> you know, JoJo played a lot better. Granted, against a steep dive in competition level, but but hey, he, um, he did make the saves. So he did, um, you know, and and 
McKinnon looked a little more on it. Like he definitely looked rusty at times versus Toronto. And that's just, you know, that's something you're going to have. You just, you can't simulate games when you're trying to make it back. Yeah. I'm definitely not <laughs> hanging that Toronto game on him. Like I didn't think he was playing full stupid either. So I don't. Right. Consider it's that like that, you know, the, the top line actually statistically was pretty good in that game, but you know, it, it <clears throat> it wasn't enough. Um, it's good thing that they had just played that Habs game because I know in three days I will remember nothing about that game. <laughs> it just they kind of had to grind it out, and it, it's not because Montreal was really playing that heavy or that hard made it that hard on them. It just was the way that that game was. It just, and that's okay. They need to win these kind of games, but it's also because Montreal is pretty bad right now. And Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I guess it's a little disturbing. You, you kind of figured the Avs would want to come out and score pretty quick, and they didn't. You know, it, it took them <clears throat> it, it took them until the shorthanded goal. <laughs> the second, yeah, it took them until Nuke's goal with a fantastic setup by Logan O'Connor um, to start the scoring in the second period. Um, but they, you know, they really didn't get going offensively until kind of late in the second. Um, I think you know, they I started okay. Gonna... Like, it's not like they were playing bad. It just was a lot more conservative of a game, I think. And I don't know if that's just because that's Montreal's style or they knew that they had to play better defensively. Yeah, I mean, the first period they outshot them 13-4. to four. You know, I mean, it's like they were getting their chances and things like that. I would, I, I think 13 sounds a lot more dangerous than it was because they were getting a lot of not so dangerous chances. But, you know, again, given the performance against Toronto, you wanted to see them come out and, you know, dominate. And they did on everything but the scoreboard. I think the good players were good in that game, but especially the bottom two forward lines did not play well. Yeah. It's... And, and that was kind of a continuing theme from the Toronto game. You definitely thought that they should play better against that lineup of the Habs where they don't right the greatest collection of talent, especially one through four. And I'll say something like, like they put Jost on the fourth line, and I know they're doing it to try and help the other guys, like Helm and Magna, who are just really not doing much at all outside of the PK. They seem to switch um, it up though, and then put Jost with the either some combination of the other, like O'Connor, Newhook, and Albay Kubel. Right, and it's like putting O'Connor with. With Newhook and, and Obeka Bell, it, I mean, I you know that that sounds pretty good, and it actually it's worked decently. But you, you kind of broke up that sixteen, seventeen, eighteen line that was working. Um, you know that that's another thing about the Toronto game. It's like three of the lines were new, uh, <clears throat> so it's you know that that's kind of tough going into a game where it's you 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 know you're going to be under pressure the whole time it's like you know you're getting mac back all right so you move o'connor down to the third with no looking 
go make a bell, and then you're moving Jost to the fourth, and then that's new. And you know, you, I, I think that was definitely a, another factor in that sort of looking bad. Yeah, that could explain those two lines not looking good, especially against Montreal when you would hope for better. But I almost sense like is Benner getting a little bit more frustrated with New Hook again and I don't think he's necessarily a risk to get sent down again, but I just think maybe maybe some of those old habits that he didn't like are creeping in a little bit. He's not as strong on the puck and not as confident with it, so hopefully that doesn't continue. Yeah, I mean, they're just that line's just not getting used as much. Um, you know, when McKinnon was out, the the distribution of time was a lot more equitable throughout the lineup, and it's like now he's he's sort of. I mean, it's like yeah, you want to lean on Kadri because he's. I mean, he's lights out and. Um, you know, obviously with a three-headed monster back, you're going to play them a lot. So, you know, that, that, that's just, it's a little harder to get in the groove when you're, you know, your time's cut by two or three shifts every night. So hopefully they stick with it because I think there is some potential with those guys like Jost and Jost finding a new home would be good too on one of those lines and I, I mean give me a break you put him with Helm and Magna <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you really wish they could do better than those two and it's, yeah, it's probably not going to happen but it's just Helm really hasn't done much outside of a few decent shorthanded plays it's like five on five he just does nothing nothing right and it's, it's like he like the the coaching staff obviously doesn't really like playing him five on five that much yeah they don't um, they don't give him hmm. the quintessential vet hold the lead kind of stuff like i think it was in, right. in the ottawa game or something when they had a late close lead like they didn't use helm and it's <laughs> it's like wow okay well why is he here? Yeah, and it's like, you know, at the beginning of the season, like, both he and Murray were kind of struggling and, you know, veteran guys trying to fit into a new team and stuff like that. And, I, like, Murray seemed to sort of get over it, whereas Helm just seems like, you know, he's, he's just a step behind all the time. And, and, you know, that's not speed being a step behind. It's just, I don't know. He's just not a great fit, I don't think. Yeah, that's probably a good reason. Like, his speed's okay, but that's just about the only thing he has. And then Megna's just way past the expiration date. Like, if you can get a few decent games out of an AHL or as a call-up, sure, whatever. But you can't count on a guy like that now 20 games into a season. Like, is it because... They hated Maltsev, and that's why he's here. And like, is he the four C? Is he going to be here all year? I hope not. I mean, in a game they pretty much dominated. Like he was on the ice for no shot attempts. You know, and in, in nine against, 
I mean, that's I, I that's not luck. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was insane against Montreal. They had just scored. I think it was when they got their the second goal, which was their five on five goal, and they immediately at the face off put out the third pair in the fourth line, and they just got caved in for like ninety and it, seconds. It, it, and it, and that's happened so much <laughs> this year. And it was like, why? Couldn't you see that coming? It it's just so bizarre to me. It was like, hey, we just scored. Let's let's try to give them a great scoring chance. It just yeah, it, I don't understand the I thinking there. Yeah, it's very frustrating because it it's it's not just sort of the bad shift. It, it it's really a momentum killer. It is. So I don't even remember what game it was, but it was one of the recent ones. And they were doing okay, and then they just had a terrible fourth line shift, and it just degraded yeah. the whole game. I don't remember which one that was. It was. It, I mean, it was. It was. I, I, it was either last night or the Toronto game because I remember tweeting about it. I almost feel like it was at home though, so it was another one. It, it, it obviously was probably one they won. But I think it happens often enough yeah. that we could be remembering <laughs> lots of things. Yeah. That sounds a lot like the uh, that sounds a lot like the Ottawa game where there were the, the Senators were just t- taking yeah. you know they just made hay on a lot of the mistakes that the Avs made so that very well could have been it for whatever reason I know it's not the same play but I was thinking about that uh, errant pass that just got picked off in at center ice and Ottawa turned around and scored what top shelf on Kemper on that one but. That one seemed to be a one where that kind of took the wind out of the sails for the Avs. And I think that may have been the goal that put Ottawa on top for a brief spell. I think you were all right. Maybe it was Ottawa because that would stick in my mind more because I was there. And it, that was Makar that was maybe trying a little too much in the neutral zone. And and they went top shelf, shelf on him. So, But I, I think it was like several times because that game was such a momentum shift game that we don't normally see as much. And, and yeah, like the abs would have it and they'd put the fourth line out and they would just give it all right back. And it's kind of disturbing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you have to think they're getting to the point where they, you know, they, they want to try something different. I, I'm sure they were sort of waiting for Mac to get back saying, all right, you know, that's that's going to make our depth a little bit better. And, um, you know, it really hasn't. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know that you could stick with what they're doing with the fourth line much longer. I mean, I know they want to keep Hellman for, for penalty killing. Not that the ads are all that good at it. Um, but, yeah. I mean, if it continues to cost the Avs uh, momentum and to the point where a game like Montreal or another team that could be seen as a quote-unquote winnable game and those start bleeding away points in the standings, especially if it's against Central Division opponents that are a little easier to play against, such as, I don't know, Chicago. We'll pick on them. (laughs) I wasn't going to be the one to say it. But <laughs> hey, they've been playing better. Like they're not an auto loss right now. We'll see when 
I think the Avs play him four times in like one month, so that'll just pretty much be the one month against Arizona. But it's the NHL. Like most of the time, the other team does have the possibility to win a game. Cliche as it is, you know, uh, there are two teams out there. <laughs> yeah, they get paid too. Um, should we have our Tula McDermott st- uh, segment now? <laughs> well, yeah, it, which starts with the fact that they decided to go on this road trip with one extra player. It just totally befuddles me why they do this over and over and over again. They always have injuries on the road. They have not had a five-game stretch this year without injury at any point. I mean, Kemper got injured before the game even started. (laughs) And to go on the road to another country, which border (laughs) crossing is more difficult now, and I understand airplanes exist, and when a need arises, they can call somebody up. But there is literally not even a direct flight from Denver to Ottawa. And we saw with Annan, he didn't even get there in time for the game. And now you're starting to see more and more guys in our COVID protocol around the league. The Eagles have had guys in COVID protocol. But yet, you are going on the road for two weeks with one extra player. And that player happens to be McDermott. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong is they needed him in the second game. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know how you can say like that's a viable solution. I mean, I mean, it's clear that they don't want to play him that much. Like Bednar gave him a game legitimately gave him a game and I think it was the first one where it was like an actual decision to play him what once all the others have been well somebody's injured and you're the last guy standing yeah it was the game where they actually scratched Sherwood and they played McDermott I think it happened once where it was a choice the rest has not been a choice and well, and and as a forward, he played a lot more than he did as a defenseman. Well, he wasn't as impactful, let's say, yeah. as a forward. But he's also a guy where I don't quite think, like, you have to have hockey IQ to be able to, you know, play a different position all of a sudden. And that's probably why they've been reluctant to play him at forward, even though you can hide a a guy and a player like him a lot easier as a forward but you can't just ask somebody to play a different position and generally like the smarter guys can do it but let's just say he's probably not the sharpest tool in the shed on this team so you can't just have him play one position and then another like I felt like last night he was still thinking as a forward it's like dude no you're, you're back there on the back end now was it the bad pinch or was it when he was high in the zone and the guys just skated right past him with the puck? <clears throat> um, yeah, it's just tough. And it, 
you know, again, we're, we're talking about the deterrent factors, why he's around. That's what they keep talking about. Um, it's insane. You know, that he, he, it was the Ducks game, and he finally got into a fight. And then you look, oh, he fought that guy three other times in the last couple of years. It was... And it was a staged fight. I mean, it's like fights have to be organic. Um, right. You know, you take like Romanov, like it looked like he killed Kale, but he actually killed Phalanx. <laughs> and then Obey Cabell got all mad about it. <laughs> he, a, he either got a... Um, <laughs> he either got a it was either roughing or an unsportsmanlike. I, I forget what it was. But he was gonna beat up Romana for hitting failing and almost hitting Kale. But isn't that but what like, you want? You know, but is Yes, but it's like obviously like that's where you're supposed to have McDermott in the lineup. And it's like he's not out there because he's not gonna play with Kale McConnell, hopefully. Um you know, he's not going to be out on the ice with the guys that need "quote unquote" protecting. So it, it just the whole thing is like a faulty premise. It's yeah, it's just it makes no sense whatsoever. And when he got in that fight in the Ducks game, and it was the first three minutes of the game, like you said, staged on a face-off against a guy that he'd fought three other times. It's like it had nothing to do with the game, the Avs. Any hit that had happened, nothing. It was just so self-serving, and it's one. And then later on, the later on in the game, he like boards Josh Anderson and then falls down on him, and now Anderson's out for you know, <laughs> yeah, like and, two to four weeks, right? And it's, <laughs> I mean, I'm still sort of a closet Habs fan, so that kind of <laughs> pisses me off. But it, I mean. I'm thinking, like, even if it was anyone but the Rangers, I'd be kind of pissed about that because it just—it <laughs> wasn't like a, a good hit. You know, it's like he—he—he he, he was falling down and smashed Anderson into the boards and then fell on top of him. <laughs> it's just like that—that that whole play happened because he can't skate. <laughs> and right, and are just, we supposed to be happy about that? We're supposed to be happy that he took somebody out. No, like I'm not happy about that. No. And it's just, it's one thing that the abs are supposed to keep up this image of this forced importance. But then you see people on Twitter and people that even write articles and do podcasts. They're even like, oh, yeah, McDermott was in the lineup. What a, what a great idea. What a, what a difference it made. And it just makes me think, like, have I, have I literally lost brain cells? I don't get it. I don't understand well, why anybody thinks that these you can correlate. I'm happy to say that our followers on Burgundy Review Twitter are generally of the opinion that it's not a good idea to play McDermott. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people are, but it's when he's out there and he makes a hit. I. I just, I don't get it. And like I've said so many times, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against physicality and fighting. I like big hits that are clean, don't injure people. But <laughs> if you want to have guys that play tough, go out and get guys that can play tough. And skate. <laughs> and, and you had Obey Kubel at least try to police. That's what you want to see. 
you know, a guy like him could take up some of that. He already has. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, you could go down the lineup and just say, this guy has done this, this, and this to, you know, sort of pull into that category of, of being a deterrent or sticking up for a teammate. And, and you know, McDermott's done literally nothing. I mean, I, I don't count that staged fight as anything other than bad entertainment. Yeah, and then you have guys like Rycroft and Keefe, like seal clapping during intermission. How like how wonderful and great it was, and now nobody's going <laughs> to touch anybody from the Avs because it happened. It's just like, how does anybody possibly believe this stuff? <laughs> it's and- interesting the parallel here because that just reminded me of the of the Nashville game when uh, Landeskog went after. Matthias Ekholm for his his hit on on uh, Rantanen, and that's you know it, it's different because it's Landis Cog and it's the captain, and you know he's going to stand up for the skill guys, and you would expect that out of him. Whereas with the the flip side with you know Curtis McDermott here is there's value that's lost, and I'm, I'm not talking just about the, the cost it took to get him, but the value of your captain sticking up for your line mates, your skill guys. And with, well, yeah, Mc- we've seen that all year that, Oh, look, some, something happened. And again, it was McKinnon sticking up for Byram. It was Landy sticking up for Ranton. And you could go on down the line, all the incidents that have happened. And it's, I mean, it, it really does all go back to is that you can't be a determined, a deterrent if you're not out there. And, I mean, you're just not going to put him out there with the guys that need protecting. And it's just so dumb that it's just, it's the theory that he's there. It's that he's on the bench. You know, it's going to keep people honest, just knowing that they can unleash this guy. And you know what is funny when McKinnon said that Nas is one of the greatest chirpers on the team and that one of the best lines he had is like, if you even play eight minutes tonight, I'll fight you. Well, I mean, come on, doesn't that apply directly to McDermott and how when yeah. yelling like you're effing terrible, like it's, it's the exact same thing. You can do your laundry and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's unfortunate. Like we've heard about how great of a guy he is and everything. Like we don't dispute that. And. It's not cool yeah, and that's what makes it tough to rag on him because he seems like a decent guy. Yeah, it's not cool to feel useless. It's not like any of us are thrilled that this guy has no purpose. But this is what happens when you keep an AHLer around, and and for this completely fabricated important. And then he doesn't do any of that, and he's not providing anything else. His analytics are terrible. It's just a bad situation all around, and they keep forcing it. And then when you go on the road with him as the only extra person, it just makes it even worse, where you've backed yourself into this corner. You're creating situations where he's going to be the next guy up because he's the only guy there. Uh, we'll see if they get the message about this, but uh, I, I'm hoping the fact that he's not involved in any of these quote-unquote protection plays and 
isn't able to do his job because of his lack of skill and skating ability that they're you know they're, they're going to rethink it like I mean, I know you and I both don't like Keith Middleton all that much, but it, you know, like Middleton, <laughs> I, Middleton yeah. can do that job and at least has a little bit of puck skill and can skate. I, he should have never been given an NHL contract. I could maybe get there with you with Gilbert. And Gilbert will throw. If you put I'm just him saying that there, Middleton's better than McDermott. I'm not <laughs> making any claims as to NHL ability. I mean, sure, like you already had that guy. If you're making that argument, right. like you didn't need to go out and fight. Like you can find AHLers that'll throw down. You've had a ton of them. And yeah, I, I could even say that with Gilbert. I think he's closer to an actual defenseman, and that guy will fight and he's out now because he gotten to a fight but he hurts himself fighting too much <laughs> I know but he'll do it like guarantee you if he ever comes back to the abs he's going to find himself in the middle of situations if that's what you want and you know, we'll see how this plays out I don't know if the abs will ever be healthy enough or they're going to have to make a decision on guys like Helm and McDermott I think if push comes to shove if they're ever at the point where money and the roster gets to that they might have to think about it but they'll probably always be short somebody so just the ride will continue and maybe coming out of the olympic break (laughs) well and you know they're gonna buy somebody at the deadline so that's where maybe they are gonna have to come to realization and make a difference make a change but i think we should also talk about calling Annan up because that was such a bizarre situation this week too where it was funny when he was first called up everyone was like well what a great idea like Francois is on conditioning in loveland and so Annan wasn't going to play this weekend what a great time to bring along your top goaltending prospects spend a week with plus with the NHL team and UC Parkila and get all that great practice time. And it was like, you know what? That's actually a great idea. What foresight, what a, and in pro development, gosh, the abs really made a good call there. And, and then what happened? Like, it was like, wait, <laughs> he didn't go on the plane with the abs. This was an actual call up. <laughs> no, they're calling him up because there's a problem. Surprise, surprise. And he couldn't even make it to Toronto for the game to start. So we saw the Ananen recall. It was a curious timing. And then I find out he had practiced with the Eagles that morning. Hmm. Well, then that means he was on the plane with the Avs, was he? And then we find out. Oh, there's this Jet Alexander that is now on the Avs roster. Oh, he's a youth sports goalie from Toronto. Well, that means he's an emergency backup goalie, isn't he? And then it was just a matter of, all right, which one's injured? And it happened to be Kemper. And he still is. (laughs) And yes, it's unfortunate that's what it was. You know, either way, it was going to be bad. I was going to feel bad because at that point, Johansson had some momentum going. And then obviously, do not want to see Kemper go down. So 
It remains to be seen if this is going to be more of like a day-to-day thing or not. But, um... And during during the TSN broadcast of the Montreal game, they remarked that I think he he all but said it was a concussion and said that he got hit in the head with a puck at the end of practice. Um, yeah, I mean that seems possible. <clears throat> it seems kind of like where that evidence happened to Sammy is headed. <laughs> yeah. If it's um, anything that Avalanche goaltenders are known for, it is freak injuries. <laughs> Yeah, just what a strange year for him, especially the skate blade stuff and and this and hopefully hopefully he can get over it quickly and um so the same stuff that everyone had said still applies to Annan and it's probably it's great timing for him to come and be with the team, be on the road and get that coaching and stuff, but then after Johansson gives up eight goals, you're saying this is the perfect time to start Annan. Like it was like the Pickard situation. Didn't even have his first start in Montreal as well. And, he sure did. Um, but you're kind of nervous because of how quickly they wrote off like Werner and Spencer Martin, that maybe those guys were both used a little earlier than the Avs had wanted, had uneven performances and then were never seen again. So you felt like on a back-to-back after Johansson didn't have a good night, that if they were going to play Annan at all, that was going to be his game, and they didn't. And Bednar said something about wanting to see how Johansson would bounce back. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. Because honestly, like Johansson is more important to the rest of the season than Annan is. Sure, sure. Yeah, I could see Right now. And, um, I mean, for all, for all we know, it's going to be JoJo and Annan for the rest of the year. But <laughs> they wouldn't they think wouldn't of that do right that. now. Like if, <laughs> if Franco's and um, as far as we know, he is playing in Loveland. He just might not be playing well. So He's, he actually, I think he played a decent game after being rusty in the first period. Okay, well that's good. Um, yeah. So we'll see how his second start goes. I just think it's more about getting through it than necessarily being like amazing. I th- I think they will trade out Francis for Annan. They might even do it Sunday. I th- I think they're really anxious for that. Even though Francis is on LTR and their cap applications and and such and such, but it could be an easy swap with Murray who makes the same amount. So the other thing is, I don't think the Avs want to be in LTIR, but until Mateo comes off, I don't know that they can be out of LTIR, especially since they're constantly needing extra players. Like, they pretty much have to get down to no extras to be out of LTIR at this point, and that's just never going to happen. But, um, I, I don't think they might be in LTIR. I think if you're going into the season with a 21 man roster and you're that close to the cap, that you're kind of expecting that. No, they. I don't think they are. You you have to be one or the other. The teams that want to be in LTR are the ones that know they either have a big ticket because it's their own player or <clears throat> because they acquired a player. They know they're going to be way over. They plan for it and they use that cap to go out and get more players. You either want to do that or you want to do what the abs usually do is bank cap space. They can have several million a 
the deadline. You don't want to be an LTR because you have to pay $750,000 to an AHLer. You're getting no benefit from it. You're not even getting that much extra cap room. And you're not using it like, say, Tampa and Vegas and these other teams do where they're pretty much paying guys eight, ten plus million over the cap. So the Avs pretty much screwed their cap this year. Right, but I think they were. Ex- I no, mean, you mean no? You they were expecting it. this. I, you expect injuries. You don't necessarily expect a long-term injury from an AHL call-up in his first game. It, yeah, when you're that I mean, close, that's the other thing. Is that, like it could happen at some point, but when it happens so close, the beginning of the year, a they hadn't banked any cap space, and b his whole cap hit was charged to them. When it's later on in the year, you have more cap space and his rest of the year hit is so much lower. And it's like they were doing the daily cap at that point and they had like 24,000 in cap built up and then it happened and pretty much screwed it. But if they can get out of LTIR and start banking again, I think they would want to do that. I just don't know that they can. They can't. Until There's that no way. healthy. So they, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, he doesn't make any money. I mean, it's. I know, like, but they're it puts them over the cap. Yeah, but I, I think they went in thinking that they were going to have someone big on. Like, if you're employing Eric Johnson and Ryan Murray, you're expecting. But this is the ads. You know, like, do they really assume that those guys are just never going to play? No. They no, don't but assume I mean, anything. They, if they actually assume. They're not going to go in there and say, well, I bet everyone's going to be healthy all year because that always happens. I mean. <laughs> then why did they go on the road with no extra players? Because they just don't assume that everybody's going to be healthy. Of course they do. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm saying that Chris McFarland had this planned out no, one you, way or the other. No, they got, they got screwed. So until Mateo comes back and gets off the damn cap, they're pretty much screwed. If they want to do, if he doesn't come off the cap, if they want to do anything at the deadline, they're also going to have to get like a ghost contract. And like EJ, <laughs> no, like Boychuk or something. <laughs> it's just this is what happens when you have to use the HLers. Just. But I know, what do you do when you have so many guys go down? That was when, like, Miko and Berkey and everyone wasn't playing. I know, what can you do? But it bit them. Well, our walking wounded list uh, hasn't really shrunk all that much because even with McKinnon's return to the lineup, uh, we've already touched on Kemper. We haven't really talked much about Byram. He's been. He did not play last night in uh, in Montreal. Yeah, it's depressing. It's <laughs> all there's to say about that. Not a good thing. Um, yeah, you, you just hope it's not anything too serious with the uh, the concussion that he you know sustained earlier on in the season from uh, Bo Horvat. But you know, just a. Uh, Keep your fingers crossed that it's just not anything that's going to impact him long term. You know, I don't even know if he even had a concussion for that. It's just something that it seems to be bringing on some 
post-concussion issues. So on one hand, it would be good to not be getting more concussions. But on the other hand, the issues are coming back. So I don't know. It's just a matter of playing him when he feels well. Like he came back pretty quickly from the last incident. So I don't know. I don't know how they're going to manage it going and forward. Great. I know he's amazing. Amazing in that first game. So maybe it's just a matter of management coping, maybe understanding what triggers are. I don't know. It's, it is definitely upsetting, depressing. <laughs> it takes a lot of the joy out of it for me. Um, I wish I didn't care so much, but I do. I mean, when you see the guy, I mean, he's incredible. He's become such a great player at the NHL level, and you just can't see it all the time. It, it's it's almost like when he's playing, you just, I don't know, you, like you just want to save it or something. Like it's just, it doesn't happen all that often. I don't know. It's it's a weird emotional, mental thing for me. And um, yeah, just hopefully they can find a resolution. Ryan Miller, Ryan Miller, listen to me. Ryan Murray still out. Confer still out. Uh, Jacob McDonald, as we mentioned uh, earlier earlier on, uh, recalled. Uh, Frank doing his uh, I'm loath to call it rehab, but his uh, road Basically, to recovery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know the McDonald recall is kind of interesting. It, it, a, he should have been the guy that went on the road trip to begin with. Um, B, I mean, you can obviously see they don't ex- expect Byram in the next game or probably next few, which I think is understandable. They're probably going to wait for him to have another good stretch again. Um, I feel like they did it kind of late. Like, it seemed like the Eagles were planning on him playing today. So, to me, that timing's a little strange. But maybe they just decided there's no way they can play McDermott again right away. I'm sure they will plenty, but I decided that long ago. <laughs> maybe they said, you know, we're not playing him the rest every single game the rest of this road trip. I don't know. They so want to we'll showcase see. him for Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I mean I definitely would rather see McDonald play the McDermott. I think it, it goes back to what I was saying about Jack Johnson playing with McDermott. Like you need someone that can handle the puck a little bit better than McDermott playing with him, or it's just, it's a cluster. So, you know, call McDonald kind of the discount Murray, if you want. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to help Jack Johnson out a lot. Just seems like something they would have decided like yesterday, not late afternoon, but whatever. Like I maybe they forgot, <laughs> <laughs> or what? Bender pounded the table and said, "Bring me another player." Maybe, or you know, what's also possible is someone else got hurt because this is the Avs, because this is a road trip. 
And because yeah, but McDermott played, and when he gets scratched, someone gets hurt, but not when he plays, right? <laughs> right. So they at least should have one more game in the bank, but can't rule that out either. That because Megan got curiously, he didn't play like the whole third period. He played one shift really early, and then nothing else, which is a little odd. But hey, it could be anybody else. The Avs and the road trip, and they're about as far away from home as possible. So, wouldn't that be the time that somebody else would get injured? I, I mean, if anything, they were hoping he'd get injured because he was real bad last night. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Magna? Well, yeah. And he's always bad. I don't get impressed with fruitless breakaways. It doesn't stick in my mind. It's like, oh yeah, that guy was good tonight. He had a, he got a breakaway. So they should have been over Magna a long time ago. Well, speaking of fruitless breakaways, let's get into some stars and scratches. <laughs> Jackie, you're up first. Who do you have for your starter of the last couple of weeks? Oh. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Well, I'll say Makar. He's, he's That's a toughie. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, a few of these are going to be really easy, but he left such an impression on me that he's got to be my star. He just, he's been on another level. Like the goal scoring is cool, but to see him playing even more aggressive, like he can be aggressive. And I think sometimes maybe he gets a little conservative or second guesses it. But when he's just going full throttle, it's so cool to watch. And Benner's mentioned that he's shooting more, which I think also helps him be a little bit more aggressive. So it's definitely been a good couple weeks for <clears throat> old Kill McCarr. When I was reading an article on NHL.com on the, the, um, the Norris front runners at the quarter pole, and McCarr was fourth. And he was the preseason top pick um, by the same panel. Um, they had Yosi first. And yeah, he's, he's had a good year. It's not as good as Kale McCarr's year, but. Were they just going off raw point totals then? I don't know what they were looking at. It's it's a subjective vote. But um, Ekblad was second. And, you know, again, like that's a good bounce back from a, a bad injury on a good team and things like that. Good story and all that. East Coast helps. And Adam Fox was third. And then Kale and then Edmund. And it's like... <clears throat> Do these people just not spend the extra hour to stay up and watch abs games? I mean, I would say no, and I would also say they're they're looking at raw point total. Like, I'm pretty sure Kale's leading in goals for defensemen, and I'm pretty sure he's sure leading is. in point per game for defensemen. Yeah, he definitely is. But he's not top in the raw point total, which is sad. But he's going to have to be close to get the Norris. 
Yeah, but I mean, the Avs are three games behind everybody. <laughs> so, and, and yes, he missed some games too, but, you know, you're seeing with a lot of these things, like, um, you know, the, the Avs being sort of trailers as far as games played, it, it affects a lot of things like that when you're going by just counts instead of rates. Well, and obviously they'll make up those games, but right. But like, Hill's never going to be playing for the Rangers, so <laughs> that's not going. That's not going to help him. Well, we're going to see <clears throat> two head to head here pretty soon, so we'll see how that one goes with him and Fox. Yeah, I mean, you know, he. he, he it, it, it. That's why it kind of sucks that they they laid an egg in Toronto because you know. Yeah. That could have been nice for him to shine. <laughs> Nobody's going to watch the Ottawa game, <laughs> um, so you're you're hoping that when they go to New York, you know that they can. And I guess a lot of people watch Philly games for some reason. But, <clears throat> you know, if he can throw something down in those two games, you know that could get him back in people's minds. They're like, oh wow, maybe we should stay up and watch these Colorado games. This weird time zone I've never heard of. <laughs> No, they still won, but a couple standout plays would be nice to keep them on the radar. But like I said, just so many people look at points. Like it, it doesn't matter if he has the goals or the point per game. If he's like ten behind Fox or something, it's just he's never going to get it. So he's got to be close on those points. Like I fully believe that when Makar had that three-point night in the very last game they played against the Rangers, that's like sealed the deal for the for the Calder for him. <laughs> and was it wasn't because it was the Rangers. Well, I mean, it was at home. Was it just because those three points just got him that much closer in the total point race? I don't know, but. And I and I, I guess I should make this clear, but this is just like 16 writers from NHL.com. This is not. But it's a good point that you bring up that these were the same people that had him number one to begin with. So right. why are they not buying into whatever their reasoning was at the time? Right. Because they had there 10 of them had him as the number one guy at the beginning of the season and only four do now. So you're like. You know, what What are the six people that shifted their vote? You know, what is so great about Ekblad Fox and Yozy that, that made them turn that? I mean, is it just as simple as the fact that the Rangers and, and Panthers and to some extent the, the Predators play early games? I just think it's point total, honestly. I think they just look at it and say, well, so-and-so has the most points right now, so... Why isn't he leading the Norris? It's so dumb, but it's true. Just the same thing with McKinnon winning the heart. He's going to have to have the most points, which is going to be pretty damn tough with McDavid existing. Spoiler, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not winning it this year. Nope. I'm saying if he's ever going to win it, it has to be a year where he's close to the the point lead and it's sad that it has to be that way but it's just so dumb and so obvious you just have to have the most points or close to it if you have the other things in your favor like a whole bunch of this other 
point per game, whatever, yada, yada, good team, blah, blah, blah. You still have to be close in points. I was, I was looking at points um, per game throughout the league this season, and seven abs are in the top 50 with over a point per game or a point per game or more. But again, like you're saying, they haven't played as many games as everybody. A bunch of them have been injured. So, you know, just by raw points, you know, they're not all up there. Um, but it's like, it, it's pretty incredible to think that there are seven guys on the Avalanche that average a point per game or better. I mean, no, they're not all going to get 80 points or better, but I don't know. Well, it's definitely you helpful know, when you have. We could see some pretty video game ish numbers by the end of the season. Well, it's nice when you have a stretch where you're scoring six, seven goals, and who knows if that'll continue, but... Who says it's a stretch? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe <laughs> we will continue. It hasn't been not. a stretch over this stretch. Then Kadri's going to score 100 points. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> On Tuesday, the Colorado Avalanche announced a eight-year contract extension with center Nelson Kadri. <laughs> He's going to get paid by somebody. So I guess we should say Nas star too. Yep. That would be my star. The, the um, NHL agrees. Third star of the month, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he really picked up the slack for Mac when he was out. Um, and I say this every week, but it's, you know, he's, He's really surprised me in that, you know, I kind of called him as being off the cliff at the end of last year because, it, you know, you look at the second half of last year and he was not good. And, you know, he – I mean, what's different now? That That's, that's what I don't get. It's like, all right, he's playing with Berkey, same thing. Um, you know, he has Nuke now on, on his other wing, whereas, you know, he kind of had either Donnie or Sod. I, <clears> I think um, just some guys are driven so much more about emotional or momentum, confidence. Like, like I say this every week, of course, that impacts any professional athlete expected to score. But some guys just absolutely need it. They, if they don't have that confidence, that momentum they're just in a rut and he was in just such a black hole last year like nothing was going right he was getting some bad luck and then you start pressing and you start playing stupid and then other parts of his game fell off like maybe he wasn't as engaged or as interested defensively so you just see the opposite happen where a few goals start going in and then he starts playing quote-unquote the right way and it's rewarding him, so he keeps doing it. And then he's probably getting a little bit good luck as well. So, and then it's just all snowballs. Like the skill and the talent is there. And then, like I've said before, you know, he has to have that chip on his shoulder. He wants to prove himself, prove his reputation. And then, come on, let's be real. Contract year. Like it, it's going to make a big difference what this guy's going to be able to do on the market based on the perception of what he can bring. And and that greatly is going to change by the production that he has now. 
Well, let's compare this season to the shortened season where every team pretty much started cold right out of the gate. There was no real training camp as we normally would call it or preseason. And he got off to a really, really slow start. And then he picked things up uh, in that weird third, you know, one third marker of the season and then just dovetailed from that point forward. This season, he's had that time to prepare in a camp. He's had that time to get ready to go in that pre in those preseason tune-ups. And then, as we've seen now, he's really just found his stride as the season has marched on to this point. Maybe he is one of those guys that needs that uh, refinement period of a preseason and a training camp where he didn't have that last season. Or maybe it was unfamiliar when he was playing with Saad and it was a new line and this year like he is familiar with the Burakovsky nuke thing so and then also that's the line that hasn't been changed throughout all these injuries and things like that it's been pretty consistent that he's played like i know he didn't they were missing nuke for a while and he did well but he, he's definitely been he's played the most consistent of the team but he's been in a pretty consistent role and lane and and everything so I think that helps. Yeah, too. I thought it was. I thought it was interesting when when Mac went down. They they didn't want to break up that one, right? Like um, they would shift him up sometimes, and that and that really goes against sort of how things have worked in the past, where it's it's kind of the next man up mentality, right? Like, like you think he should center the top line because of course he's playing so well. And they did yeah. do that in some games where they needed scoring or. Right. You know, and you're always like, going to have that anyway. You're always going to have sort of those guys switching around. But. But. It, like dedicating the thought of having that line stick together and sort of make the first catch as catch can. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think that shows a commitment from Bednar and the staff to to cadre that you know we're behind you we want you to be successful it's important to us for you to be successful and that can help his confidence as well yeah i just think everything's working for him at this time which is great and i think it will continue because he's proved that he's been a good player he's been a good player for us in the past like last year it just snowballed and he's definitely better than that player and it's great that he's proving it it's also helping us too so um but yeah he's deserved to start for a while of course <laughs> and i'll give him a, a minor star to berkey for scoring a gritty goal <laughs> i was gonna say i think berkey's been pretty black hole <laughs> he's been he hasn't been great but it's just that goal you're just like that that wasn't beautiful. What is this? <laughs> you know? What one are you talking so, about? Like the rebound goal? Yeah. I, I mean, it was still was a nice shot. I mean, he had to be in the right place at the right time, but we're not talking. Right. About- it just wasn't a glorious wrist shot from distance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but when we talk about gritty, we're talking about like in the crease, uh, the, the poking away, well, have- the whacking away, the... Or the folly that he just doesn't play a lot. You don't realize it, but 
You know, put him out there to sit on leads, that's for sure. <laughs> and hey, usually it's been working. They've figured out some sort of sweet spot if he just plays 13 or 14 minutes, but for as well as I mean, not if you look at the distribution of his shift, it's very even. So it's not it's not like something like, you know, they like sat him down house, for ten right? minutes here. It's yeah. It's like it's like what they yeah. realize. And um and as well, I guess the reason why I bring it up, I don't think he's been terrible, but as well as Nas has been playing and how they've played together so much, you would kind of expect to maybe rub off on Berkey a little bit more. Well, I mean, he's... <clears throat> I, I think he still does things that don't show up on the scoreboard. Like, you know, he's, he's very underrated in his breakouts and his zone entries and things like that. And, and that's something that the Avs... You know, they, they do score that pretty high. I mean, I wouldn't put him as like a top five problem on this team. I'm just saying he's sneakily sliding into black hole territory. And with him, it is a lot about confidence. And I just don't think he has it right now. And also, what yeah. game was that that he scored that pretty goal in? Was it like Anaheim or something? Like it, that, that's it was a- last night. No, last night? Yeah. I remember him scoring last night. <laughs> well, I still don't retract my statement. <clears throat> yes, he did score last night. But like I said, it's not like he's been specifically bad. It's just... I think he could do a lot more, especially with Nas being that hot. And Nuke's actually been hot too. Now that he's a new wrist yeah. and all. He is he is also in the point per game club. <laughs> now that he can make skilled plays, now he has hands. Like do you just need that that time off just to like heal heal the wrist and get a new wrist and the guys from DNVR were saying he's got hands of clay now, not hands of stone. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but maybe it was all that rehab. I don't know. Just guy has new hands. Vlad, who's your star? I have to give my star to to JoJo. Even still, even after the stinker. To come in as a backup goaltender under the circumstances that he has. Let me amend that. To come in as Earl points out, a third string goaltender, moonlighting as a backup goaltender, and then being thrust into a starter's role for now the you know the foreseeable future under what began as super bizarre circumstances because of a malfunctioning boot to Darcy Kemper and bring in you know, bring in some good some good play to bring in some good wins and to bring in some points. That's a tall order for anybody to come into. And I got to really give it to him for being uh, able to rise to the occasion and to reward the trust that the staff has placed in him to get what needs to be done. Yeah, you're going to go going into Toronto. And I think that would have been a, you know, any goaltender that wasn't at an elite level would have probably had a rough night on Wednesday. But 
looking at you know the sum of his work over the course of the last couple of weeks, I think I think I've you know, he's he's been pretty impressive to me. So I'm I'm casting my lot with him, and it's something that you know because all of us had you know PTSD from the Hunter Miska experiment, and we weren't quite sure what we were getting ourselves into when the Avs made that trade for him with Buffalo last season. It's it's looking good for for what he is. It's looking good for what he is. So being where he is now compared to what he's supposed to be, I'm all two thumbs up for him. I'm definitely a yeah, fan maybe. of JoJo. I like I'm happy for him and I mean he is a proper third goaltender. It's something we haven't really had. Um I probably wouldn't have gone star just because like just the Toronto game was not good and it certainly wasn't just him. But well, what about the resiliency he showed exactly. afterwards? But yeah, that, that was huge. And I'm so glad he, he even just got to do that because he just would have been thrown in the Miska bin. Like everyone just would have been like, you know, just screw this guy. I don't ever play him again. And just the perception. Sometimes you do see like, it's still out there that he's just like this, the guy that arrived from Buffalo that wasn't very good. And, and it was like, he's had some decent games this year and it's not like an auto loss with him in the net. I don't feel that way. I'd say the bulk of his starts have been pretty good. Like even the one they lost against Columbus wasn't bad. And the one, the Anaheim game where he just finally had to take the net, like he and Nashville was good. Last night was good. So for the bulk of the year, he's, done his job and more I'd say I think what Earl said earlier about how he's a number three that's basically had to play backup quality and I think he's done that yeah I mean he's you know over the the stretch of games we're talking about this week he's been three and one and granted the one was a stinker but you know getting three wins out of your third goalie I mean you know out of the the twenty games you've played, you know your 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 third goalie has won you three of them. Um, you know I, I think the Avs are lucky to have a guy that is able to do that. Yeah, it's nice having a third goalie, and <laughs> and uh, especially with Frank's uncertainty, it, it, he has been a lot more than that. So. Hopefully we'll get, I'm sure he'll start tomorrow against Ottawa and maybe a few more times this week. Even though I think if uh, Frank makes it through his weekend at Loveland, I, I have a feeling they'd throw him a start pretty soon too. But JoJo's helped the team for sure. A net and, positive, if you will. Yes. <laughs> And I still don't think they want to waive him. Of course, playing crappy in Toronto definitely makes <laughs> more likely he'd pass, but a guy that's been decent and is league minimum. Um you know, there's teams out there that I mean, come on, Buffalo just had to break down and get Malcolm Subban for future considerations. Like they definitely would have thought about taking JoJo back. If it, I, I mean, I just don't think, I, I don't know how they could. 
Well, I mean, I, I know, I know, other teams would consider it, but it just you can't do that. Well, teams <laughs> when you see claims, it is generally teams that are familiar with the player. But I know they pretty much I, kicked him out of Buffalo. Like, could they really bring him back? But then, like I said, they just got Malcolm Subban for future considerations as their solution. And I'm. <clears throat> I, I I might be misremembering, misrem- but I think he, he kind of damned them with faint praise <laughs> when he first got to Colorado. So, well, yeah, and may, who knows? With as long as Kemper's out, they won't be waving a goaltender. So, see. Nah. Before we move on to scratches, can I please give a? Honorable mention star to Byram just for how amazing he played in that Nashville game. Absolutely. So we can remember him at his best. <laughs> a game winning goal, they didn't even give him a star. So sad. But he'll be a star yet again one of these days. Number one star in our hearts, at least. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely fair. So, scratches. I kind of piled on Berkey already, but I think... I know this is going to, like, kill folks out there, but EJ... He just... No. Not EJ. (laughs) You just see it like whenever they ask Bednar about him and he's just like, oh, he's so important. And then you just see the quotes everywhere. Like, I don't know how many of either you guys or listeners out there on social media, like Instagram, Facebook, but it's like everywhere. Like all these quotes about like EJ is so important and wonderful and we need him so much, so bad. And he does definitely bring that veteran long-standing av, that element that you do need. I'm not saying like we don't love EJ, but he has not played that well lately, really. Let's be real. I'll qualify that by saying he definitely hasn't played well with Jack Johnson <laughs> lately. Just some <laughs> some of the performances are getting covered up by how some of the other defensemen have played or that they've been scoring and winning. But sometimes if you really look at either is the analytics after a game or just remembering some of the plays, you're just like, they're kind of getting by here a little bit more than they'd want to. I mean, I think there's a duality between the EJ we see when he, when he's playing in the fourth spot with either Bo or, or Sam and what we're seeing when he's on the third pairing, dealing with playing with the fourth line a lot. And he's dealing with playing with Jack Johnson um, you know, it, he's not a guy that can carry a pair like that. He's not a guy that's, um, you know, that, that's able to drive a lot of pairing. Uh, and it's tough. I mean, you know, you want to think that he's still, you know, the first overall pick that can get it done, but that was 15 years ago. You know, he's, he's a veteran guy. He's okay most of the time. But when he has a bad game, it's a stinker. All his goals are fun, though. 
And we yeah. always enjoy when EJ scores. So I do feel a little bit bad, you know. I mean, EJ is definitely at the heart of the Avalanche, but you're definitely seeing him play a lot less minutes. And it is good when he can still give a few quality minutes with one of the better puck movers. But he's definitely entering the sunset phase. Like, I really don't think they should entertain the thought of giving him another contract. Would you say it's time to lead the horse out to pasture? <laughs> Perhaps, yes. Maybe one last I mean, lap around the track. The, the victory, the farewell lap, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you look at sort of when his contract ends and how he's sort of dealing with the league right now. I mean, I think he's just enjoying playing every day and not being injured. Sure. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, by the time that contract ends... Right, like we're still talking about another season and three quarters left, so... Right. So it's like, you know, just given how his body has taken abuse for the last 15 years, um, you know, you, you kind of think that he sort of... You know, unless it was something like the Avs like, went to the finals and lost in the Game 7 by a goal or something like that, and he just had to... Know, finish some business and he came back on a mint deal or something like that. But I'm sure it'd know. have to be a whole lot cheaper. Like, even if they did do sort of the soft spot, give the vet another deal, it certainly would be a lot yeah, cheaper because they just literally won't be able to find six million bucks two years from now. But yeah, like if they give him a million, that'd be a lot. <laughs> it might be tough. <laughs> though. I'm a little worried. It might be a little tough to let go but we'll see where he's at at that point it's just we're kind of slowly coming coming down to the runway here <laughs> um my scratch is going to be darcy kemper's skate blade holders <laughs> um like you just don't like Yes, you do see that occasionally from skaters. I'm not sure I've seen that from a goalie. Um, I, I think I saw one in the AHL last year when we were, I think one of the goalies from either Ontario or San Jose. I was trying to think of it. Um, but it's to have that happen three times on just in full view of everybody in near a television. Um, you can't let that happen. I, I mean, Maybe it's the the equipment guys were begging him to remedy it by changing to the true holders or something like that. But um, yeah, you just that that cost them two goals, um, and it didn't cost them any points in the standings. Thank goodness. But for you know, it you, just you really, can't happen at the NHL level. Like you just right. It's like that's something you can control that you don't have to just you know go with you know you, you don't it's not like just finagling some tool together <laughs> if you're trying to get a job done you know it's like they've got the money they've got the extra equipment they can fix this um so yeah just to- i don't know the details of why it happened again but you know there's some blame somewhere it might be him being 
obstinate about wanting to have the, a certain setup, and I realize goalies are just mental about stuff like that. So that could be it. <clears throat> Might be the equipment manager was like, ah, it's no big deal. You know, was, you know, generally the abs are pretty on that stuff. So, but that's bad, and it should never happen. Definitely, it's. Because like you said, it, it cost you goals. It could have cost you games. It's just <laughs> for as anal as they are about everything else, how every game win point is so important. Just It's like lower than junior level stuff. I mean, that, that's the thing about pros. It's like it's so easy to control the things you can control. That, that when you have a situation like that, that like you can control that situation and they didn't. Um, I'll say overall, I don't, he hasn't had the greatest couple weeks. Like it's been tough, right? Like I'm sure really annoyed and frustrated him that he couldn't, well, A, he couldn't finish that game and B, he had to leave the first game, but. It's like he kind of started slow and he got a little bit more comfortable with the team and he had a good stretch and now we're kind of back to where maybe when he's a little bit uncomfortable, he starts not playing as well. Like, he was in that Dallas game. If we're going to give JoJo a little bit of the blame for the stinker in Toronto, like, Kemper's got to make a save sometimes. Like, you're the starting goalie and yes, we can always have the... He was screened or the defense broke down a little bit, or that was a great shot from a great player, but there's a reason why you say you, you have to make a save at some point. Like, there's a reason why you have to be over 900, you have to be under three. It just, you have to do it. No excuses. I mean, I think the Avs give their goalies a lot of leeway with the amount they score. Um, you know, I, I know that the goalie numbers in general don't look very good for the Avalanche, but it, you look at their record and you're like, you know, they're, they're 12, seven and one. That's, that's pretty good. Um, you know, most teams, if they had goaltending numbers, analytical numbers like this would not be doing as well. <clears throat> um, so I think there's a factor involved there. Um, you know, and a lot of this goes back to, the fact that people try to take score effects out of statistics and you just can't. So I think there's a little bit of that when you look at things analytically with the ads goalies. Um, but you're right. You know, it's like there's, you know, there's 10 or 12 pucks he should have had this year that he didn't. <clears throat> but he can fix that skate thing. <laughs> You know, hopefully he's back soon. We do need him. Not saying I don't like him as a goalie, but he just there's a certain level of expectation, I think. And I don't know if he's quite met that all the time. And at this stage, I would probably agree. Um, the The irony is that we got more analysis and exposure on this you know skate issue with Kemper than we've had at any point in recent memory regarding any 
actual injuries from you know sustained by the actual team itself. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I had no idea how those things worked. You know, I mean, I know vaguely. Like you know, I had skates, so I know how. Like, there's a boot, there's a holder, and there's a blade, and you know, I was back in the dark ages where you couldn't change your blades, but now you can. Um, well, it's, but, it's know, interesting to me. We got to learn how yeah, that all works. Exactly. It's interesting to me how you can actually change the holder and you don't have to change your skate or your boot, which is good because players are so familiar and boots broken in and everything. That would be, I guess, a lot more to overcome than, okay, you can just change the holder itself. So yeah. apparently that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Like when I was growing up, like goalie skates were, they were, they resembled nothing like a, a skater skate. Like it was basically a boot that went into this plastic shell that had a, a blade, you know, glued or centered into it or something like that. And it's like, you would just change the, the bottom cowl on it. Um, but you might keep your boot. Um, so, you know, it's progressed a lot since the 80s. I guess we need your scratch, Earl. Oh, no, that Mine was your the scratch. Blade. Yeah, we need Vlad's scratch. Yeah, I was going to go with the, the the boot holders as well. But, <laughs> <laughs> or the blade holders as well. But, you know, I I'm stuck on the I'm stuck on the I'm I'm stuck on this Dallas game. And the reason why is because of one, it was Joe Pavelski. And yeah. The and what led to Joel Pavelski. And it was Jack Johnson. So Jack Johnson gets my scratch for the week. I think that's pretty fair. He's overall And I, I was going to see him, but I scratched him last week. So <laughs> I, I try not to be consistent. I in that still one. think overall he's been okay. Worse and worse. But yeah, it's trending, and you just wonder: is he running out of gas, playing too much, getting exposed, yada yada? Yeah, it's like before Murray got hurt. It's kind of like it'd be nice if he gave Jack a day off once in a while, and it, and you really can't now. Um, and that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Um, but you'd like to, cause it, it definitely looks like he, he plays a little bit better when fresher, I think um, that's you know, and again, I think we saw that again last night, you know, it wasn't a back to back, <clears throat> but it's just, you know, you could tell that he was laboring a bit. And yeah, the, the first Pavelski goal where he just kind of got toasted behind the net. I don't know if he got a little turned around. I know he's right by the net or something. Maybe he just, it wasn't like total brain fart, but whatever. He just couldn't find, he couldn't find the puck. I mean. <laughs> whatever happened, he, he was not with Joe Pavelski when he emerged by the net. <laughs> so it's not good. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean he he's had he's he's had a bunch of errors this week, and you know again he's an older gentleman. That that's 
you know, that's sort of part of it. You're, you're going to lose a little bit of fe- effectiveness when you're, you're playing a lot more than you probably should. And it gets back to us, you know, you just wish when the schedule's busy, you have four games in a week, that they'd be a little bit more willing to give some of the vets a day off. But just either injuries or because they never have any real extras, they just can't. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because then it does an entire disservice to the whole lineup since one change like that could, you know, just have such consequences. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, you, you put Johnson against like having McDermott in the lineup and you're like, I'll take Josh Johnson. And <clears throat> so that, you know, that, that, that makes it easier to swallow, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. You just hope it doesn't get worse. Like, I wouldn't put him as top five, my problems with this team, but you do realize we still have, like, 60 games left. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that – and not only that, it's, like, the tempo we've been playing at is fairly light. Right. Um, what, you know, what is he going to look like when we start the big stretch in March? You know – I'm sure he'll come back from the Olympic break rested and ready, but it's like from then on, it's just every other day back to back. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I, I don't know how much of that he's going to be able to play. I don't think he can play every single game between February and the end of the season. Yes, we'll find out. <laughs> well, before we get to that point, uh, we got to finish out this roadie here. Uh, so the Avs will be in Ottawa on Saturday, likely when this podcast gets uh, published out there for the masses. So that game is a 5 p.m. Denver start time. So you might have a little bit of pregame listening before you have your evening fix of Saturday night hockey. On Monday of next week, the Avs will return to the States and head to Philadelphia to face the Flyers. That is a 5 p.m. start. I know Earl will be uh, ready to go with uh, his uh, pennant and number one foam finger. (laughs) That's for the Rangers. (laughs) He's got to warm up. That's for AV. My favorite coach. Well, hopefully he can still suck for that game. I'm sure he will. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe OB Cabell will have have something special saved for that game. I'm sure he's got I this game on be. his calendar that's been circled in red. <laughs> yeah. Which I still like I him, by the way. I, I think he fits in well. We didn't talk about him hardly at all, but I still think he's fit in well. And I know people grumble about the penalties. Like, most of them are playing physical kind of penalties. Oh, and the one that he took against Anaheim, everyone thought he was like made the dumbest decision. Like that's what crashing the crease is. Like it happens, and he did get pushed into the goaltender. Like he definitely put himself in a vulnerable spot. Maybe it was a little reckless, but he also definitely got pushed into the goaltender. Anyway, I mean, he's taken four penalties in eight games. Like that's I don't know. That's kind of a lot. It's not fun for me. I mean, there's. 
<clears throat> he's not taking careless penalties. I mean, they're not tripping. You know, they're not. They're, these are all more roughing. Um, yeah, you know, more. I mean, they're all aggression penalties. Exactly. So you do hope he starts taking a few less, but this is just kind of what you. If you want somebody in your lineup that's a little bit more physical, more in your face, you just kind of deal with it. Like this is what you get. So I still like him. I, it's not like they have any better options to get rid of him. So <laughs> I'll be excited to see what he does in Philly. I hope he has a big night. I hope he definitely sticks it to them. That'll be fun. He already has. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he scored more here than he has there. That's for sure. And on Wednesday, the Avs wrap up the road trip against Earl's arch nemesis, the New York Rangers. That is a 5 p.m. start locally. And the Avs will return home on Friday to face the Detroit Red Wings at Ball Arena. That is a 7 p.m. start, which will be the first in a three-game homestand. And we will likely have another episode of Burgundy Radio to go between now and when the Avs uh, get that homestand uh, going that weekend against uh, Florida on that Sunday, the 12th. That's perfect. Before so, we- yeah, we'll, we'll see how the rest of this road trip goes. The Ottawa rematch tomorrow. I mean, the Avs definitely should win that game, but considering how the game at home went, like the Senators can score. They just have to outscore them. And... Ottawa he beat Carolina <laughs> last night on on the back half of a back to back with travel and da- and they were down. Uh, no, they weren't down in that game, but you know, I like them. I like Carolina's the young guys, and I don't think they're as bad as their record is. I think they've had some poor goaltending, which is why they jettisoned Matt Murray. <laughs> they made a point there, but the Avs definitely need to win this one. There's no excuse. And then they should be able to beat Philly because Philly's not that good. No, they're not. The Rangers will see. I know that they've kind of been, their record's probably a little bit better than they've deserved. I did see uh, their goaltender went down tonight, so I don't know if that's going to be an ongoing thing or not, but that won't help their cause, but that'll be the Macar versus Fox show. So we know we want our guy to win that one. <laughs> well, that'll be a matchup we'll see twice in the span of a whole week since uh, the Rangers cap off that three game homestand on the 14th. Yeah, and Florida's been playing crazy. So um, it'll be interesting to see them at our place. Not unbeatable, though, but they definitely feel like the team, like this is their year. Not necessarily saying they're going to win the Cup, but, you know, just every year there's a team that just storms through the season, and it feels like them this year. And I don't want to talk about playing. a lot of non-regulation points. (laughs) I don't want to talk about playing Detroit. Just don't make me. Yeah, the Rangers did be fun. We haven't seen them since the last game before the first COVID break. And that was that was a game where JT Comper and Tyson Jost were your top two centers, and it was a really good game. Yeah, um, McCarr definitely 
made a difference in that game. He did in overtime. Um, so, so maybe do it again. Much as I don't like seeing the Rangers, uh, hopefully we get a fun game out. <laughs> and as long as it doesn't lead to an extended break in uh, in hockey action, like the last one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Please no. So that's so, going to be the extended look for the uh, next little bit. It's going to be exciting. It's nice to see some different teams. I appreciate the novel there. It's good that we got some division games out of the way. You don't want to spend too long away from the division. You want to start getting rid of those. But it's nice. It's nice to get the tempo back up, too. I mean, like November was okay in that yeah you know you played like five games but <clears throat> I, I know the players like I, I do the think they, they they like yeah the, the rhythm and the predictability of it yeah like i i think matt coming back at, at the beginning of a stretch like this is kind of good because it allows him to play a lot right off the bat yeah which back into it. will help him get back into the groove Yeah, pretty much this. Pretty much this whole month, with the exception of a random game here in a couple weeks against Nashville, and and the last week of the of the of the month is all featuring East Coast teams. Yeah, we get two more against Dallas at the end of the month, but it does feel weird to have, like you said, such an East Coast centric schedule. It was like. November was a lot of the West Coast teams, and now it's a lot of the East Coast, but at least it's different. <laughs> I'll take it. Any last words before we uh, wrap up for the evening? I'm good. I think I'm spent too. I have one. And it's more for the fact that, and I will likely cut this out of the final product, but <laughs> I am absolutely tickled that out of everybody that participated in the game-winning goal challenge this week, the team that has produced the uh, the uh, most on the power play against the Avs has been the team that nobody picked, and that would be Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always tomorrow. Ottawa can be a pleasant surprise, so... We will see. There are some people who have Ottawa in the bag. I know, Jackie, you are one of them. So, yeah. Wow, nobody picked... So other people picked Ottawa, but nobody picked Montreal. Interesting. There were okay. three people who picked Ottawa. Everybody else picked Toronto, and nobody picked Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if there's a tie? Uh, if there is a tie, I usually, uh, I usually just give points to everybody that had the, the, the same result. Oh, okay. Like, so they if, both win. Pretty much. Yeah, so if uh, Ottawa only gets a power play goal tomorrow night, then I'll give the points to everybody who picked Ottawa, too. Oh, okay. Because it's the same amount. It's still the most. (laughs) Yep, that's true. So, uh, we'll see. It was an interesting question. Yeah, trying to come up with some fun stuff. Like, the last one for last week was, I thought was pretty... uh, unique into try to 
trying to see which opposing team captain was going to get the least amount of points and will Gladys Gog outscore them. <laughs> Just trying to come up with some different stuff. What was the answer to that one? Uh, so that answer ended up being, uh, I believe it was actually Roman Yossi. He was, mm. he was the only player that, uh, ended up with the fewest amount of points. Actually, he was, it was he and Getzlaff that had the fewest amount of points. Mm. Uh, Brady Kachuk had the most with, I think, two. Hmm. Okay. You know, it's funny. I, I think this whole episode, we've said like nothing about Landy and Miko. It's <laughs> <laughs> maybe fair. <laughs> Miko had a hat trick too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, we covered that early on. <laughs> he does deserve a little, definitely, for getting the hat trick. Yes, he does. And for I know, that's like... and Kale picking up that piece of lettuce after being <laughs> named uh, star of the game against Anaheim. Was it Anaheim or Nashville? No, I think it was Nashville, but yeah. that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, fun stuff. So, until we gather around the microphones next time, Earl, Jackie, thank you very much. This was this was good. It's been a while. Glad we were able to do this. And until you hear our voices next, uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>